Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is William Bronchick. Thanks for being on the show, William. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And uh, William is the host of LegalWiz.com and is a nationally known attorney, author, entrepreneur, and public speaker. He has been practicing law and investing in real estate since the early 90s, having been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. His best-selling book, Flipping Properties, was named one of the 10 best real estate books of the year by the Chicago Tribune. He's also the co-founder and past president of the Colorado Association of Real Estate Investors and the executive director and founder of the College of American Real Estate Investors. So William, thank you again for your time being on the show. Give the listeners a little bit more about just who you are and maybe where you're located, and let's dive in to our topic today. Great. Originally from New York City, lived in Colorado for 26 years. Uh, mentioned earlier, I started the one of the biggest real estate investor associations in the country and just founded a new one called Colorado Landlords Association, which launches in January, which will be focused on people with you know, anywhere from single to multi, big multifamily apartment buildings, investing in managing and financing and putting together deals. So I'm a deal maker. Most attorneys will give you just enough advice to keep them from getting sued for malpractice. That's why they say lawyers are destroyers, they kill deals. I'm not that type of attorney. I figure you're an adult. If you understand the risks, I'm gonna explain them to you and it's your choice. What I like though is like you've been in real estate for a really long time. You're an investor yourself. You've done syndications as well. You know, and so it's nice to have an attorney on your team. That's an investor as well and, and has done lots of different deals, not somebody that's just looking at the legal jargon, you know, on, on the documents, but you've actually been out in the field yourself. So I like that expertise that you bring. But you know, I think today we're gonna to talk about a recent syndication or a couple syndications and really get into some creative financing that you've been a part of. And so maybe get us started on a recent deal where we can dive into that the, how you've worked the creative financing? Yeah. One deal, I had a seller who had an existing Freddie Mac low interest rate 30-year loan. He was asking about six and a half million. He owed about three million seven hundred and fifty thousand. And he had agreed on a price of a million above that, four point seven fifty. One of my clients who was negotiating with him, and you know that's a pretty good deal from six point five down to you know four point seven fifty. But I said, ask him if he's got an existing loan. What are the terms of it and everything? We found out it's a low interest rate loan. It isn't adjustable, but it was currently at three point seven five or something like that, adjusting every five years on a LIBOR. I said, ask him if he's willing to wrap the mortgage, meaning. We basically give him a million cash and then we take the property subject to his mortgage and, and just pay the bank. Now, though, we looked at the mortgage and his attorney and I said, hmm, if we transfer this, you know, there's an acceleration clause the bank can call the loan due. So I asked the seller's attorney, is he owned in an LLC? He said, in fact, he does. I said, is he the sole member? In fact, he is. I said, okay. 
how about we transfer the membership of the LLC to our LLC and work our way around the acceleration clause? And we actually structured as such that the lender signed off and said, yeah, that's okay. You could do it that way. So basically, we ended up giving the seller about 600 at closing and then convinced them to take 400 later. <laughs> and then subject basically wrapped around his existing mortgage of $3,750,000. The appraisal came in at 7.1. Wow. So he was first asking $6 million, but then he had come down for to a million over right. what he mortgage. owed. Yeah. And then not only that, but the appraisal came in you know, 7.1 pro forma, and it was close. It was about 75% occupied, but you know, screaming deal. That's a good deal. Yeah, that's a good day right there. So and instead of assuming the loan, you transferred the membership. Yeah, yeah. Mortgage said, if you don't do the following, then we won't call the loan. Or if you do do the following, we will call the loan. So we just, the seller's attorney and I just said, well, let's just do around what it says you can't do. <laughs> and that's how we structured it. You know, if we were in those shoes there and we're trying to figure out, okay, should we assume this loan? What are some, maybe some common issues or problems you see that happen when they're trying to assume a loan like that? Is the interest rate good? What's the amortization, 15, 20, 30? Is there a balloon? Is it adjustable? And how often does it adjust? And what's the cap? You know, how high can it go? Is there a floor and a ceiling to the loan? You can assume, go to the bank and say, here's my credit, here's my financials, and just get permission. And that may be worth it. Another deal it did recently was a 18-unit apartment building in Colorado that had two bedroom, one bath apartments that we wanted to split into one ones, sort of micro apartments, but not maybe 500 square feet each because they were a thousand. So if we split them up into two, we double the number in the parking lot could handle twice as many people. One of the attractive things was there was an existing Freddie Mac mortgage, 30 year fixed at 3.1%. Yeah. So we were going to give the seller basically about 900 cash, assume the loan, and then spend about 600000 converting the 18 units into 36 units. And it would turn it from a six cap into basically an 11 cap, which would be quite substantial profit. The investor who was putting up the money we said, we're going to form an LLC and you'll be one of the members and syndicated as follows. He didn't want to do that. For some reason, he wanted to be a lender in second position, which doesn't really make sense to me, but that's what he wanted. When we went to contact Freddie Mac, they said, nope, no seconds, no second lien position. So we went back to the investors and said, please, don't be foolish. This is a great deal. Just be a part of our LLC and we'll be co-owners, co-members of the LLC, and you'll be an equity owner. And he just didn't want to do it. And Freddie Mac wouldn't let us put a second loan behind theirs. And the deal fell apart, unfortunately. So why were they selling or why was that deal for sale? I'm trying to remember. I think the seller was just moving on. They had bought it a couple of years ago and they got it to full occupancy and market rents and you know, six cap, five cap is about, you know, the going rate in Denver for a building like that. But we figured if we can convert it from 18 to 36 units, smaller, obviously, but we would get almost double rent than we were getting from, you know, 18 units that were bigger. So the parking lot was substantial and would handle the extra parking. So zoning wasn't a problem. We'd have to upgrade some things, some of the electrical and plumbing to handle the extra units, but the numbers make sense. 
So, you know, a property, like how long, you know, you said it was 30 year debt. Is that right? Yeah, it was a 30 year, I think 3.125 or something like that. Yeah. And so how far into that loan was this seller? Four or five years. One of the advantages of assuming a loan is, of course, as, as you're implying here, if it's a 30 or 20 year loan and they've been paying down for four or five years, now you're starting to chip away at the equity a bit, where if you start over with a new bank loan, you're all interest. Any experience or uh, previous deals recently with using bridge debt? Yes. I just put together a syndication for a client of a adult living facility in Florida, and they're going to build it. It's just a piece of land, and they got bridge financing lined up for 18 months to build it. And then they have the same bank will convert that debt into permanent financing. You know, maybe you could tell us a little bit about bridge financing, just in case the listener is not familiar with that. I know you said this was new construction, but there's other uses as well. But could you just elaborate a little bit? Hard to get, you know, a 20 or 30 year loan on new construction. Now you could put up all cash for that with partners or private lenders, but the rates you might pay are pretty substantial. It's almost hard money rates, which could be 12, 13, 14% and four points with a six month to a year balloon, which is not good. A lot of lenders, commercial lenders will do what they call bridge or gap or mezzanine financing, which is usually a one to two year balloon. And you're looking at probably seven to 9%, a couple of points, probably going to be interest only. And that's fine if you need to do what you need to do to get it into the condition that the building qualifies for long-term financing. So if you're getting a building that is half empty, you're not going to get a lender who's going to give you a long-term loan on that. So you need gap funding or bridge funding to maybe fix it up and raise the rents a little bit and fill up the place till it's 80% occupied. And then it's a lot easier to get financing long-term. Yeah. So if we had a property that was, say, 60% occupied, maybe that was because of mismanagement or some other issue that we knew we could fix. We're going to have to get bridge debt, correct? And so that until, like you said, until it's over 80%, uh, at least 80%, so it's considered stabilized, and then we can get a more permanent type debt. You know, bridge, yeah, an older property or obviously new construction, like you mentioned. I know you use the word like mezzanine. Could you just tell us what that is? Well, it's just different names for the same animal. It's a bridge debt, gap debt, you know, quasi hard money loan (laughs) or whatever you want to call it. It's not your permanent loan. It's a temporary loan to do what you got to do to get the thing either built or filled up or reconstructed or um, managed better so it'll qualify for the better 30-year fixed or 20-year, five-year fixed rates that are available out there. Maybe you do it as temporary financing if you're lucky enough to get an FHA loan, which amortizes you know 35 years or more at very low rates. But those loans can take nine months to a year to get. In the meantime, the deal's there. You know, you might have to pay a little more an interest rate and cost for that short-term loan, but in the long term, it'll pay off. What are the cons to doing a mezzanine or bridge debt? Well, first of all, your cash flow is going to be tight. When you're paying 7 to 9% interest, maybe sometimes even more, it's going to affect your cash flow numbers you know, very substantially. So you could expect that you're not going to make much cash flow, maybe even negative the first year or two while you get the thing turned around and repositioned. So your investors have to have enough cash to carry that. There's a balloon 
on these loans. So if there's a, let's say a two-year balloon and you haven't turned the thing around in two years, you're going to be in trouble because that balloon is due and they'll foreclose and take the property from you. So you better have a good business plan. So what about the credentials that we need to be able to get something like bridge debt? Bridge debt is easier usually to get than long-term financing because it's a lower loan to value. So instead of getting 80% loan to value and some lenders now doing commercial debt at 85-90, which is almost unheard of before, it might be more like 60%, 65% loan to value. So in that sense, the lender doesn't have as big of a risk as lending 80% loan to value. So they're a little softer on qualification. They're more concerned, can the building support it? Do you have the experience to turn it around? And does your plan make sense so that you can get out of this loan before the balloon comes due and refinance it or sell it? Or what about like floating rates? Well, again, in the short term, I'm not that concerned with it. So if it was seven and market interest rates went up and then it becomes eight after a year, this is all short-term financing for a year or two until you get the building repositioned to a point where you can get long-term financing or turn around and sell it. So floating rates long-term can be dangerous if you plan on keeping it long-term. If your goal is to keep it five years and you've got a five-year fix and then it goes to an arm, that's fine if you only plan on keeping it five years. If you want to keep something a long time, you probably, given the uncertainties in the world global interest rate market, now interest rates are very low, of course, but you just never know what Trump does to China and what happens to interest rates and et cetera, et cetera. So I would recommend getting a fixed rate loan or getting something fixed for as long as you can. So I know there's a lot of listeners who are trying to get to that first deal. Maybe they've done one deal. You know, they're hoping to get that non-recourse, right, agency debt. And so, you know, help us to, I guess, help them know what they need to be qualified for that first agency debt and maybe some ways to help them to be more qualified for the next one as well, you know, moving forward. Well, first, I would encourage someone who's just starting out to maybe find a deal where you can get seller financing or partners to put up all the cash so you don't have the complication of that. You may have to bring in a partner who has those qualifications to qualify for the loan. It's different than a single family home where they're looking at just your credit score and your debt to income ratio. They're looking at your experience. They're looking at your total net worth relative to the loan. They're looking at the management structure and the income and the cap rate of the property and what's your plan for turning it around. So there's a lot of factors there. In some ways, it's easier to get millions of dollars in non-recourse commercial financing than it is you know, on a single family house in some ways. It's true. But if you don't have the net worth that they're looking for, or the experience they're looking for, maybe bring in a co-managing member of your LLC to be you know, 20% owner, 25% owner, and have their qualifications for the loan. So do we have to have somebody that's signed on agency debt before? Yeah. A lot of times they make you sign personally on a, on a guarantee on a loan. You know, the smaller the loan, the more they want to guarantee, oddly enough. You know, forty million is easier to get non-recourse uh, than it is, you know, four million in many cases. But again, if it's a deal where you're borrowing a lower loan to value, let's say, you know, sixty-five, seventy percent as opposed to eighty percent, and you're getting more partners in to bring in the cash down payment, you may make less, but your risk exposure is lower because 
if it does get foreclosed, the, the chance of a deficiency is pretty slim when you're only borrowing at 65, 70% LTV. Would you advise that new person, maybe this is their first deal using agency debt and you know they have somebody else that's bringing the balance sheet or liquidity and then maybe somebody else is bringing the experience or maybe that's the same person, but it's their first agency debt. Would you advise them to sign on the debt as well so they gain experience? Well, signing on the debt is nothing but a liability. There's no upside to it other than maybe you could say to a lender in the future, here's what I did. But I don't know if that gets you any points just because you signed personally. So if you can not sign personally, that would probably be a good thing for you in case it goes bad and you don't want to be on the hook because borrowers are jointly liable. So that means they're going to go after the one with the deepest pocket, regardless of how many people signed on it. If you have to, if they require it and the numbers make sense and it's a smoking deal, I don't say anything wrong with that. But if it's a high-risk deal, you know, if you're going into a boarded-up building and you're guessing what market rents are going to be in two years and filling it up and you're going for 80% financing, that's very risky. When doing a deal like that, though, and you have other people, I'll say, you know, and I get this question often from passive investors. Maybe they're new to the syndication business. And even last night, I had somebody ask me, you know, well, wait a minute, you know, if I'm a limited partner, if I'm a passive investor you know, how much liability do I have? You know, so let's use that same scenario. If we have agency debt, non-recourse, and let's say the deal goes bad, you know, what happens or what kind of issues could the passive investor see and also the general partnership see? Well, the passive investors have virtually no risk. If you're not a managing partner, general partner, or in the case of an LLC, managing member, and you don't sign on any debt and you don't manage the property and you're not participating in any of the major decisions, then there's no liability for you because liability is based on the failure to do something you're supposed to do. And that's where the managing partners potentially have liability. But if you're just a passive investor putting up money and you're not participating in the day-to-day operations and you haven't signed your name on any loan, your risk is very, very low. It's not much different than buying stock in Google. That's what I told her. And I also added that she needed to talk to her attorney that I was not an attorney. (laughs) But on the general partnership side, obviously there's a lot more liability there. And can you speak to that? Sure. In a limited partnership, a general partner has liability, which was why most general partners are corporate entities. But even so, if you're a managing member for an LLC, technically you're not liable under state law for decisions you make in the ordinary course of your dealings. But there's so many exceptions that are carved out for that in the case law where you could be held personally liable for what's called piercing the corporate veil, especially if it's a small company, and especially if you do something really wrong and someone's really injured financially or physically. There's a lot more risk for those, plus you have potential liability to your investors who can always come back and say you misrepresented or you mismanaged or you took the money and used it for things you weren't supposed to and so forth. I was speaking with another operator this morning and he was telling me about this group who raised, I don't know how many hundreds of millions over a longer course of time, but they were found out that they were doing some highly illegal things. And now many are in prison and have received all kinds of death threats. And I mean, it's a big deal, you know, so we take this very seriously, no doubt about it. Right. You might want to insist on, if I were going to be a managing 
member on a big deal where I could expose myself to potential liability, I would insist on the company buying me errors and omissions insurance as a managing director of the company. So if the shareholders sue me and allege wrongdoing, I have lawyer's fees covered, at least, unless I've committed something grossly illegal or grossly negligent, if the insurance is going to cover that. As an investor, you may want to insist on that too, because you want to have a deep pocket to go after. It doesn't matter if you sue the directors or the general partners if they're in jail and they can't pay the debt. You want to have a policy to go after. So errors and admissions insurance. Errors and omissions. Omissions. Omissions insurance. And where would we go to get insurance like that? That's a fairly specialty type of insurance. People who would insure lawyers, real estate brokers, corporate directors, that's the type of insurance policy it is. What's been the hardest part of the syndication process or business for you? In the beginning, I think my mistake was not raising enough money. It's better to promise less and have more people in the deal than to promise more and say, oh, by the way, we're running out of money. We need more. (laughs) <laughs> not saying never, but it's a bad idea to underestimate your cash flow needs and have to go back to your investors and say, you got to pony up more money. It's better off raising more capital and promising a lower rate of return for investors. I think that's one of the things I learned early on. And also make sure you have people invest who have enough experience and sophistication that they understand the risks involved. And if someone's putting up 100000 it's their last 100000 that's going to be someone who's going to torture you every day about their money and their investment. You don't want an investor like that. You'd rather have someone who's worth $10 million and take half a million because they can afford to lose it and they're willing to take that risk. How are you preparing for another potential downturn? Buy more. <laughs> People thought I was crazy, but between 2019 and 2011, I was loading up on properties because they were cheap. It was hard to even get them filled and the rents to even barely break even. And we suffered for a few years, but look what happened over the last six or seven years. You know, property values doubled and tripled in some cases, rents doubled. So it's a payoff. There's money to be made in every market. A falling market is hard unless you could see your plan through the end of the rainbow, down through the bottom, and then up back up again. And if you could hold on long enough, real estate is a lot of how long can you survive? In the long run, it almost always goes up in value and so do rents, but can you survive the ups and downs in between is really the case. What's a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? I would say just learning from other people's experience has been good. Meeting other players in the business that can maybe bring some knowledge or experience to the table for you and maybe you take less of the deal. So if you, especially if you're a newbie in this and you want to do a deal, maybe bring in a partner and give them 60% of the profit because they've done it 30 times. It takes your risk level way down and your comfort level way up. What's your best advice for caring for investors so they want to come back to the next deal? You want to under-promise and (laughs) over-deliver. I found that I've looked at deals where the cash-on-cash return, if I sliced it up one way, might result in 15 to 18%. Some people don't believe that. You know, they think it's a scam. It's too high. So I'm better off slicing it up so I take more and I give them 11% and they believe it more. And if I end up giving them 15, they're thrilled. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Learn from every mistake. 
everything's a learning lesson. If you make a mistake and you lose money, it's just an education. Don't give up. You'll always have obstacles in your path. You'll always make mistakes. Try to learn as much as you can and employ the expertise of others who are more experienced. But there's risk in all investing and you got to be willing to take the chance and stick to it. How do you like to give back? I write hundreds and hundreds of articles. I do hundreds of videos on YouTube and I've written six books on real estate investing. So that's my way of sharing my expertise and knowledge with other people so they can follow the path and use real estate to create their retirement or lifestyle that they choose. Awesome, William. I appreciate your time and you sharing your expertise. It's been a great show. And just you dive into some creative financing and a couple of deals that you talked about. Can't thank you enough. And But tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you and even find your YouTube channel. Yes, my YouTube channel is just youtube.com slash my last name, Bronchick, B-R-O-N-C-H-I-C-K. My website is legalwiz.com. Without the H, Wiz, W-I-Z, <laughs> LegalWiz.com, where I have hundreds of articles on commercial and residential investing, videos, podcasts. I have a podcast as well on Apple iTunes, streaming on my website, and tons and tons of videos on YouTube. Awesome. Thank you, William. Thank you. My pleasure for being here. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.